man, you guys are on it this morning. They were, I didn't even have to do it a second time. So do we believe? Yes. That's awesome. All right. Will you join me in prayer? And you can be seated. Sorry. Oh, Father. We, we do believe, God. We know. We know because... Your word says it, but we also know because you have shown us throughout history, um, God, that you, uh, you are sovereign, almighty, that you made a way back for us. That Christmas is all about the fact that you made a way back to you for us. You didn't have to, God. You weren't bound to do that. You did that um, out of love. For us, that we love because you first loved us. Oh God, we think of our church body this morning, this small piece of the greater church body around the world, and um, God, I just think of the number of people who um, have lost loved ones during this season, who who are sick, um, who are in need of healing, God. Spiritual, physical, emotional healing. God, we just ask that you would be not only with us here in worship this morning, but also, God, with our brothers and sisters in Christ who just um, can't be here this morning for for various physical reasons. Um, And God, I just continue to lift up the, the many people in our congregation who have lost people that are close to them. And... What a difficult season this can be in those circumstances. Um, God, we um, just thank you for all the things that you are doing in our midst. That is, um, as as we talk about in your word this morning, God, that as as we wait for you to come back, God, you are working all the time. All the time. And... God, I just uh, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we have a place to come and gather and um, and open it together. I think just just a few years ago, and in the midst of all the sickness going on right now, a few years ago, we were opening the word together in our homes virtually, and now we have a place to come and gather together, and, um, and how quickly we forget uh, the difference that we felt when we were having to gather in our homes um, alone. So, God, we thank you for a place to gather and a body to gather with. Um, Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts this morning. Speak to our hearts, God, as we open your word together. Um, May this time be a time of, of transformation for us. May we leave a little bit different than when we came in. May we hear you this morning, God, and hear what you're speaking into our lives. We love you, God. We thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. We are in Acts chapter 1 this morning, and my scripture may be just a little bit different than what's up on the screen only because I'm going to start back in verse 6 instead of verse 9. So Acts chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 6 and read to verse 11. 
Hear now the word of God. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now these are the last moments Jesus has with his disciples. Three years walking side by side with Jesus. And their last question is, Lord, is, is, so now Israel's going to become great again, right? We'll touch back on that here in a few minutes. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Incidentally, we won't cover it this morning, but ten days after this, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does come and everything changes. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. We will cover a couple of other scriptures this morning uh, throughout the message. So, um, But this is our main passage, so keep your finger there. But we're now almost a week past Christmas. <laughs> There's always a mix of emotions. Ah, and yes. Um, either way, the day we've been waiting for all year long has come and gone. Incidentally, some people already have their Christmas decorations up for next year. Isn't that crazy? Um, all the decorating, all the preparation, all the shopping. It's my wife and I joke every year because it's over in like a flurry of wrapping paper and then it's done. Um, all that time spent, um, and then all the trips to the garbage cans with cardboard boxes and bags of trash and paper and all the stuff that we do to prepare, but. I say it jokingly, but in truth, the culture uses a lot of the preparation for Christmas to disguise the meaning of the day. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir that we, you know exactly what I'm saying. But the world around us, of course, would have us believe that it's about light displays and how big the light displays are or about the different parties and festivities about the the shopping or even worse the amount of money we spend on the shopping and the comparison that, that happens there sometimes but all that comes into play and seeks to distract us from what's really going on behind the scenes the truth that a little over 2000 years ago god came in the most unassuming way possible into the world. It's interesting to me as I think about what we're talking about today, um, that 
Jesus' return will be this humongous thing. And we'll get there in a minute. I'm kind of looking toward the back of the book a little bit. Um, But when Jesus came to earth, he ushered in God's peace, God's love, God's joy to dwell among us for a time and inside us forever. And you would think that that would be this huge thing. But the story that we read in Scripture is a pretty humble story. It's not this huge fanfare that you would expect when God enters the world. It, it just seems so counterintuitive for, for me. Um, but the way that God entered the world was, was this, this unassuming thing. And so I think that just as it was unassuming then, it's sometimes unassuming now and gets drowned out by all the noise of everything else that happens around this holiday. But do you remember being a kid and how long it took for Christmas to get here? I see all these nods and chuckles. Um, I'm 41, and it seems like Christmas comes like that. And I'm told by many of you that the older I get, the faster time goes, which is not a truth that I really enjoy, uh, given that my daughter just turned 11 two days ago. Uh, I, uh, totally against my will. Um, I asked her years ago to stay small, and she refuses. But it seems like when I was a child, Christmas took an eternity to get here. I mean, it took forever. And one of my favorite Christmas movies is A Christmas Story. And I think one of the reasons for that is I can relate to Ralphie Parker sitting in class longing for Christmas. For all the wrong reasons, of course. When you're a child, it's for all the wrong reasons. But... I can relate to that, and as Tom Petty once famously sang, waiting is the hardest part. I was reading this week, and um, pastor and theologian Sinclair Ferguson once said, when I was a child, Christmas seemed to die every year by bedtime on December 25th. The anticipation seemed long, and the realization all too brief. I even tried wrapping up my presents again and opening them the following morning. I call my son Elliot, uh, who many of you know, the Christmas boy, because he will start talking about Christmas in January and continue all the year long until it gets here. And he woke up this past Monday morning, and before his eyes were fully open, he said, It's Christmas! My favorite day! And I thought, what a cool way. (laughs) Shouldn't we all wake up on Christmas and go, it's Christmas, my favorite day. Oh, but the fact that so many of us can relate to that feeling of anticipation for Christmas. I think we can relate to what was going on in Scripture and the waiting that happened up to Jesus' birth. And the waiting that we are still participating in for his return. In the Old Testament, we have this picture of what God's people went through before Jesus was born. The Old Testament is full of these prophetic words and promises and foretellings of the coming of the Messiah 
the one who would arrive in the future to save God's people from their sins and free them from oppression. And what's so funny about the disciples' question, their last question while Jesus was on the earth, are you going to restore Israel to power now, is that Jesus came not to free them from political oppression, but from the ultimate oppression of sin and death. Jesus came to fix the real problem and not the earthly problem. And these promises were read again and again by God's people over and over again throughout their history. They were spoken as a reminder that God had not forgotten his people. The book of Psalms contains all these poetic laments about asking God to remember his people, about imploring God to remember his promises about how long God's people had waited for him to come through to be faithful, to keep his word. Psalm 107 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Just like counting down the days as December comes to a close and Christmas Day finally approaches, God's people would count down God's promises, longing for the day when those promises would be fulfilled. And just as we see in the Old Testament that God was working that whole time, God works in our waiting as well. God has not forgotten. God has not ignored us. God is working. And so as we read through the Old Testament, we find that Though it may have seemed to Israel that God had forgotten about them, we have this advantage of seeing the whole story played out, right? And don't we wish we had that same advantage for our own lives? We know that he was working in them and through them the whole time. He was teaching them to rely on him in the wilderness. He was bringing them along this journey, forming them into his people. And he was doing it. In this very intentional way, even as they leave Egypt, he tells Moses to take them a specific way, a way that they didn't really care for. There was a lot of complaining and wailing and gnashing of teeth along the way. But God makes these very intentional decisions for the formation of his people. Now, if he was doing it then, it stands to reason that he's doing it now in your life and my life. But even even as he works, we have to admit to ourselves that God is always up to something. Always up to something. I um, had a pastor at Purdue when I was in college that um, made a large impression on me. And I remember him talking about being in church as a child And there was a lady who would sit, an older lady who would sit right up front. And he said, during the sermon, she'd say, what are you doing to me now, Lord? What are you doing to me now? And haven't we all felt that a million times? But more importantly than the fact that God is always up to something is that God knows what he's up to. And God knows what he's doing. In fact, when we come face to face with what God is doing, it becomes very clear that we have no idea what we are doing 
most of the time. And so the New Testament begins begins with this long-awaited incarnation of God, this long-awaited arrival of God with flesh on, this Messiah that had been foretold and foretold and foretold for ages, that the nation of Israel was waiting for, that the whole earth was waiting for. And again, we see this pattern of waiting, of longing for Christ. Mary gives birth to Jesus in this humble room amongst the animals of the house somewhere in Bethlehem. She wraps him in this humble cloth and lays him in a feeding trough. Just as had been foretold for ages. And the wait was finally over. And so Jesus grew into a man and was faithful to God during his Years of ministry, he was obedient even to death on a cross. And after his death was laid in a tomb, and for three days the world held its breath. And then, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And then, he came back. He appeared to his disciples and promised that though he was going to heaven to be with God, he would one day return. And the scene that we see this morning in Acts chapter 1, this final scene with his disciples, I, I believe, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I believe that there was some question among the disciples whether or not he would come back at the end of that three days. And we have some evidence for that that we'll get to. But I think that when he came back, that when they saw the resurrected Christ, that that changed everything. I think that when Jesus said he was coming back, when Jesus went up, and, and just before he went up, he said, I'll be, I'm coming back. But they believed him. Because he had already come back once. And they weren't sure that was going to happen. And I think that when that happened, I think that what you see in the disciples is that they went, oh my gosh, it's all true. It's all true. And so just like that, Jesus is gone. Three years of walking side by side. And then they see him come back from the dead. And he spends 40 days with them. And then he's gone. And he says, he gives them a list of things to do. Um, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. um, Which is a whole other thing to unpack. And to... To the end of the earth. So you're, you're going to go to people in Jerusalem. In your own community. People you probably know. You're going to go to people in Judea. People who still think like you. Believe like you. Who you're familiar with. Then you're going to go to Samaria. The people that you hate. And then you're going to go to the end of the earth. To people you don't even know exist yet. In places you don't even know about. And I know that some of you in here. Have lived that. And so the disciples stared into the sky wondering what to do next. And it's kind of a comical scene because the the angels are like, guys, what are you doing? And I can almost see the disciples going, we're waiting for him to come back. (laughs) Because they were just... I think that they were just so astounded by what was going on. And so the angels remind them that there's work to be done. 
that he's just given you things to do. Go and, and do those things. There are people who need to know. They need to know. And so the disciples stop staring into the sky and the angels move them to go to those who are hurting and who need hope of the resurrection. The same as the Holy Spirit does for us today. The angel does remind them that Jesus will return one day just as he left. But this begins a whole new season of waiting. And so you've seen this as our theme this morning. But it's this constant theme throughout scripture of waiting on the Lord. And we find ourselves in that same situation today between his ascension and his return. But also, we find ourselves waiting in all sorts of ways, don't we? I know if I went around the room, each of you would have something that you've been praying for. And you're saying, how long, Lord? How long? But those of you that know me well know that I have a deep love for God's Word. And part of that love comes from knowing that this book is one story from beginning to end, of God putting his family back together. And that story is still being written today, now, and we are in that story. And so just as we read about all these people in Scripture, you know, I think about, the I've, I've been at Olivet a little over ten years, and I think of just the people that I've known since I've been here, and it's amazing to me the people that God has used just in this piece of the body of Christ in this story. And so the story is not over. It continues to be written. Biblical prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope available to us today. Just all the little all the little footprints that God leaves throughout history. Just as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ's arrival, both Testaments are filled with references to his second coming, to the second advent. One scholar has estimated that there are over 1,800 references to Christ's second coming just in the Old Testament, and 17 books of the Old Testament talk about it prominently. So before Christ had even arrived the first time, God's people are writing about the second arrival. In the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to Christ's return. One out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the second coming. And for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's birth, there are eight which look forward to his second coming. What that tells me is God's people were always beginning with the end in mind. That God's people were always looking forward to what was coming. They were always looking forward to their source of hope. And how often do we get stuck in the past? Or do we get stuck in the present and we forget what's coming and what's promised and what our source of hope is.
The reason why all the waiting and longing our culture does for Christmas feels empty is because the culture doesn't offer that which can fill our hunger and our thirst. Only Jesus can satisfy. C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I love the music of Rich Mullins. And one of my favorite songs is called The Land of My Sojourn. And Rich writes, nobody tells you when you get born here how much you'll come to love it and how you'll never belong here. And so I call you my country and I'll be lonely for my home and I wish that I could take you there with me. This is our country, but it's not our home. It's where we sojourn for now. It's not our final destination. It's not all there is. And so today, I want us to be reminded that maybe sooner, maybe later, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And if, we're not, if we don't have that on our minds every single day, we should. He will return, not to check up, but to defeat sin once and for all. To restore his creation to the way things were always meant to be. He will come to restore what the Jewish people, what the Jewish people refer to as shalom. Which is this peace that comes from things being made right. Things being made whole. Things being made the way they were always meant to be. And when he arrives there will be no more sorrow. And no more pain. And no more cancer. And no more disease. And no more wars. And no more death. But I think we can I think we can agree the waiting for that is not easy. And I know I would love to see these future promises become a reality now, right now, but God knows what he's doing. God works in our waiting even though we may not see it. We can't just sit around staring into the sky and counting down the minutes for Jesus to return. The good news of Jesus needs to be shared in word, yes, but also in deed. And some of us are more comfortable with the deeds, and some of us are more comfortable with the words. But both are required. And we spend our time actively waiting. You understand the difference there? Actively waiting. Not just sitting and waiting for God to come, but being in action, doing those things God would have us do, that God will shape us and mold us into the people he wants us to be. That our whole life is meant to be this period of transformation, marching toward this glory that the Father is working for us, even now as we sit here together in worship. And so the years of waiting are not meant to be wasted. I just want to stop here and ask you to think of one person that you know that's close to you or that's on your mind that doesn't know Christ. And we'll come back to that. But I want you to be thinking of that person. When Jesus returns, it will be for all to see. And though the birth of Christ took place in a small town with a humble audience of shepherds and farm animals... The second advent will be something that cannot be missed. Jesus' return will be an event that the entire world will behold. 
In Revelation 1-7 it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Every eye will see. No one will miss the triumphant appearance. The last book of the Bible tells us a little bit about what we can expect with Christ's return. Like the biggest parade you can possibly fathom, the Bible says that Jesus will return with trumpet blasts and riding in the clouds. It will certainly be something to see and experience together. But here's the thing. The problem for us, the human problem for us, is that we don't know the day or the hour. We can't mark it on our calendar. We can't mark off the days. There's not an Advent calendar for the second Advent. And that's problematic for us, isn't it? We sure do like to be able to predict things. Think about how much money the culture makes off of prediction. Calendars, but prediction. All the horoscope stuff, the astrology stuff. All the stuff that will allow you to predict how your day might go, how your week might go, how your month might go, what the weather might be. All the different ways we try to plan so that we can be prepared. What this means for us is that we can't control when Jesus comes back. Only the Father knows. But we must live each day as though... It could be today. That's what the disciples did. They lived prepared. That's what God's people have done forever. They lived prepared. When Jesus returns, Revelation says that the peoples of the earth will be in mourning. They will mourn because Jesus came the first time as Savior, but he will come the second time as Judge. We must live ready because in the end we will give an account for our life. I can't glaze over that and, and be faithful to God's word here. We will be judged on what we did with the grace and mercy offered to us on the cross when Jesus died. It is a gift that's meant to be shared. Did we believe and receive his gift of love or did we reject his offer? And even further, did those of us who received the gift of love do everything we could do to help others receive that gift? Did we do everything we could do to let others know that the gift even existed? Did we do everything we could do to provide an opportunity for others to know who Jesus really is? But do not grow weary of waiting. We don't deal with waiting very well. As I was texting with Kristen this morning, she said, but the, she said, I think everyone came to Florida this week. And I have several of my friends are in Disney this week. And I mean, you're talking like six hours to get on a ride that might last five minutes or something like that. Six hours. Nope. The most magical place on earth becomes a lot less magical in those circumstances. <laughs> We certainly don't deal well with waiting too long. And too long is something that is determined by each of us. It often depends on 
what we're waiting for, how much patience we have at the time for what we're waiting for, how urgent what we're waiting for is. If we look at the disciples waiting three days for Jesus to be resurrected, some of them, led by Peter, grew tired and weary of waiting even three days and said, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. Three days for Jesus to come back. But my children are being asked to eat a meal on Christmas Eve at my parents' house, knowing that just on the other side of some sheets of drywall, there are gifts. Those children, you would think they are the most well-fed children ever. They couldn't eat a bite. They haven't eaten a bite. And they couldn't possibly eat one because they're so full. They, not that their lunch was that large, it's just that the thought of gifts being on the other side of this wall is enough to fill their appetite, seemingly, until the gifts are done and then they're starving. But we will go to great lengths to speed things up that we want to get here. Many of you are friends with me on Facebook and know that on Sundays I spend a lot of time waiting on my smoker to finish cooking whatever I cook. And I say this because every Sunday at least one of you will ask me, what's on the smoker today, Chad? And I know that that's secretly a, will you bring some to my house, please? But... By the way, today it's chicken wings and uh, little smokies and barbecue sauce and um, maybe smoked cream cheese. I love cooking, and I especially love using my smoker, but I will tell you, and some of you know this from experience, when you've gotten up at 5 a.m. to put a pork butt on the smoker and it's been in there for 10 hours and it's almost dinner time and your guests are getting ready to arrive, the internal thermometer starts to rise a bit, if you know what I mean. You start to get pretty upset. When things take too long, we grow weary. We grow frustrated. We grow concerned, depending on what it is. And at times, we give up. Friends, this has been a hard season for me and my family. And I know that for many of you, it has been as well. I will just say, without going into detail, that I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I'm ready for things to be made right. There are days where I wake up, I want to stay in bed, I don't really want to get out, I don't really want to go because of just all the stuff going on. And I share this because I know so many of you can identify with it in this season. But it's for that reason that today I encourage myself and I want to encourage you to remain faithful. Continue to endure. Don't give up the fight. God can take your frustration. He can take your anger. He can take you being upset. He can take all of those things. You can lay all that on Him. He's big enough to take it, I promise. Don't give up. God knows that 
you are weary. God knows what you're going through. And he's there every step of the way. It's a daily choice and it's not often an easy choice. Daily, I must pick up my cross and follow him. But I know that I do that because he's the only real source of hope. And I know that as I follow him, I follow him into that glory that the Father's preparing that we just talked about. The world offers nothing that can sustain me. Only he does. So in those hard mornings, in those hard moments, on those nights when you can't fall asleep because you have so much on your mind and your mind just chews and chews and chews on thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I thought you might. Reach out to Christ. And cling to the only source of hope there is. And hold fast. Hold fast. Don't give up. But even more so, understand that if I feel that way, and you feel that way, and if you're in a relationship with Christ and you feel that way, think about how much more those around you who do not have a relationship with Christ feel that way. The book of Hebrews was written by an unknown author to a young church who was tempted to give up on their faith in Christ. Over and over, the author implores his listeners to remain steadfast in order to receive the blessed rest of God that was promised so long ago. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, it says, And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's the promise. That's the hope. That's the only source of hope that matters. The author of Hebrews speaks to the second appearance of Jesus in the future as a way of encouraging his readers. He tells them that when Jesus appears the second time, it will not be to deal with your sin and my sin. He's already done that. When he returns, it will be to save those who are eagerly anticipating the second advent. So it begs the question, doesn't it? Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus to come again? Does it ever cross your mind? Do you live as if it is true and imminent, as if it is this thing that is going to happen instead of this thing that may happen someday, but probably not in my lifetime? For the Christians who believe that Jesus will return for his church one day, this should impact how we live every single day. I read a quote this week by Oswald J. Smith. And he said, we talk of the second coming when half the world has never heard of the first. So while we sing our Christmas songs and we celebrate the saving grace that was given to us through the birth of Jesus, we must remember that there are people we come into contact with every single day who have no idea what has been done for them. There may be people in our families, people that we see every time we go to the grocery store, people we work with, 
people in all areas of our life who have not heard and not accepted the good news. But we must not grow weary of waiting. and We must not grow weary of sharing so that others can also come to know the love that we know. And so, as we move into this new year, as we finish our celebrations for the first Advent, and we wait for the second Advent, we must have a heart to tirelessly pursue those who are far from God. So perhaps today, I mean, perhaps today that's you. Jesus has been born to you, and you can receive his grace now. Now. Eternal life is something that starts now. It doesn't happen the day we die. It starts today. And so if that's you, I just want you to pray with me. You'll bow. Lord, We come before you with humble hearts. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who came to save us from our sins. And we offer you our grace. You offer us your grace and your love. We offer you our sin, God, because you are the only one who can, who can forgive it. You're the only one who can pay the debt that is ours to pay. And so we long for Christ's return to make all things right. Father, we confess our sins and our mistakes, for they are many. Knowing that your forgiveness is boundless and is the only thing that can cover our sin. Cleanse our hearts, Lord. Fill us with your love. Help us to live lives that honor you and reflect that sacrifice to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.